Hello, welcome to the West Side Podcast. This is where we'll post some of our audio from our sermons on Sunday, and we're so glad that you're here. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus step by step. We hope you enjoy, and thanks for tuning in. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Yeah, I am George Bomer. I've been at Eugene Faith Center for a while, and I, I spoke here, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago or so, uh, and they haven't asked me back since, you know, so no, that's not true. That's not true. Brooks did a couple times, but I just wasn't able to do it, and uh, I'm really thankful to be here, and I've been excited ever since I talked with Gianna about coming here, and this morning... I was uh, praying and writing in my journal, and I know it's always scary if a pastor brings up two sets of notes, uh, but they told me I have as much time as I want this morning, so, uh, you know, buckle in, and, uh, but uh, this morning I was praying, and I just thought, I had listened to, uh, I don't know where Dan's at, but I had listened to uh, his message uh, from last Sunday, oh, there you are, and I just thought, you know, in the midst of uh, struggles and unsurety and being lost on your bike, don't know how that happened. Uh, I got lost uh, hiking once, so it's not very fun. Uh, but feeling a little bit lost in this place that uh, continuing to be a disciple and going over the great commandment was uh, really great. And my message this morning will be a continuation of the fact that we can grow right where we're at. And that's what was on my heart this morning as I was praying. And uh, a proverb that the Lord gave me when I was a new Christian came to mind. And this is a proverb from, uh, from an old translation. And it says, uh, the one who tills their land will have plenty, but uh, he who pursues vain things lacks sense. And the idea of the proverb is when, you're, when you've got some land... And then you look over at somebody else's land and you go, wow, I wish I had their crops or I wish I had their grass or I wish their grass, my grass was as green as theirs rather than we're in this land right now and we can grow right here. And I know many of us are in challenging times in our marriages, in our singleness, in our aging, in our uh, relationships and in this world, but we can grow right where God's planted us. And I felt like the Lord just wanted to say that he's proud of you and that he loves you. I even drew a little heart. Um, God loves West Side. And that you have a mission here. And I loved your mission statement that God is reconciling people to himself through the grace of Jesus Christ step by step. How did I do? Is that right? That is an awesome mission that you can do in your work, in your home, in your neighborhoods. And guess what? That's the mission of God. Colossians says, God is reconciling all things. So today when you're out there and you come in contact with an all thing, you can say, God's reconciling it. Hello, tree. No, I don't know if that's what, <laughs> what that means. But um, you're, uh, this, this church and the place that God's put you in this community is making a difference, and that mission is being fulfilled. And uh, God is uh, proud of you and for uh, what you're pressing through. And I'm excited for what the Lord has for you this year. And uh, that was all free, not part of the message. So uh, um, <clears throat> my message this morning is uh, titled Great Reversals. And 
Jesus' take on what it means to be great. The Bible's filled with great reversals. And we love great reversals, you know. Rocky taking punches for hours and then it turns around. And things are not what they always seem. And the Bible's filled with things that um, don't seem like they are and then there's a great reversal. And in this new year, we all want to do better. We want to be better people. I, I haven't met a person yet who's made a New Year's resolution that's, I want to smoke more this year. I just want to be meaner to my family this year. I, you know, instead of a year in the Bible, I'm going to take a year off from the Bible and prayer. I haven't met anybody. But often the way that we get to growing, to having a reversal in our life is very different than we think. Jesus said, if you think you see, you're actually blind. But if we admit that we're blind, then we'll see. The first shall be, and the last shall be. I know some of you came in late from church quoting that one. You know, you were, hey, I'm last, but I'm first here. And, uh, um, and of course, the greatest reversal of all, the cross. Seemingly defeated. Seemingly the victory for enemies and the enemy. And yet, on the third day, this great reversal, resurrection from the dead, and so uh, powerful, and the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and the person sitting next to you, and that's a great reversal. So this morning, we're going to see uh, a reversal, and the disciples have an interesting question that they want to ask Jesus. Quick context for our passage. It's just a short passage that we're going to look at this morning. Jesus began his ministry by saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. And then he began modeling that. He embodied that. He healed. He taught. He taught about the kingdom in parables and examples. He delivered people. He healed people. Many uh, miracles. He raised people from the dead. I was reading about that this morning. There's a, a young a, a man being taken out in his casket. And Jesus sees it and walks over there and says, young man, rise up. How awesome is that? You know, Jesus modeled the kingdom of heaven. But something shifted for him at one point. He began telling his disciples that I'm going to be taken by the authorities. I am going to be beaten I will be killed, but I will rise again on the third day. And when his disciples heard this, they hated that message. They resisted it. They didn't understand it. But he's been teaching this. And now some of the disciples come up to him and they have a question that they want to ask Jesus. And uh, we'll look at this passage. And while I'm reading this passage, I want you to notice the question that the disciples ask. Notice what Jesus uses or who Jesus uses as an example. And then notice with me out of this passage three words that will jump out. Converted, humble, and receive. And those are the three words we'll look at today. So notice first the, the question that the disciples ask. We're reading from Matthew 18 verses 1 through 5. At that time... So this is shortly after Jesus has said he's going to die. And he's going to be beaten and crucified. At that time, here's their question. Who then 
is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Kind of a strange question. Then Jesus called a little child. It's talking with a little one back there, and I was wanting her to come up here, but she said, no. no. <laughs> Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. That's powerful. That's simple. That's big. And that's dramatic. Unless you are converted and become like this, you will by no means. They're talking about greatness. And Jesus is saying, hey, we're hoping you guys even make it here. That's pretty, uh, pretty good. Therefore, whoever humbles him or herself as a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So he answers the question. And whoever receives one little child like this in my name uh, and receives me. Jesus said, I'm going to be handed over to the authorities, be killed and be raised again. And I want you to follow me. And their response to this, their question to this is, hey, Jesus, who do you think is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Which actually there is an answer to that question. Do you know the answer to it? The greatest, Jesus said there's one born among women who is the greatest. John the Baptist. But then he said, but the least of these in the kingdom is even greater than that. So, hey, look at the person next to you say, you're greater than John the Baptist. No, don't, don't do that. <laughs> Jesus, who's the greatest? And this wasn't the first time that they asked this question. It came up several times in several different ways. Some of the guys even had their mom ask a question. Hey, Jesus, can you uh, make my boys, you know, advisors to God? And <laughs> um, couldn't you think of a lot of other questions you might have? I'm going to be taken by the authorities. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be crucified and I will rise again. Aren't there about 50 questions that you would have just based off of that? But theirs was who is going to be the greatest. But as usual, Jesus does a great reversal on them. He's going to turn things upside down. Because this is the worldview that they knew. Where status, where power, where control, where political power is how you get things done. And you want to be the closest to those in political power. And you want to be in the best position. But Jesus calls up a little child. A little child. My guess is that he called up a couple of them, set them on his laps. Not don't be seen, don't be heard, but right in the center, a child. Unless you are converted and become, unless you are converted, you can forget about greatness because you're missing the whole point of the kingdom of heaven. Unless you become like this little child. There's a lot of things Jesus could have said. He could have said, if you want to be great, be an evangelist. Be the greatest evangelist ever. Be the greatest prayer ever. Be the best faster ever. Go for 60 days instead of 40. Be the best tither. Be the perfect theologian. Be the perfect blend of progressive and conservative. Be an apologist. Be the most knowledgeable. But he didn't. He held up a little child. Become as little children. Look at this uh, quote that I have up here. 
It's a little bit long, but I think this really helps us. Contemporary readers working out of a context where children are viewed differently forget how shockingly Jesus' response would be. In Mediterranean culture of his day, children were without status or power and they were treated like property and they were never held up as examples of anything. Their social location was one of insignificance, powerlessness, and marginality. And now the disciples are being invited to become like them. Powerless, marginalized, like property, like a servant. Surely this comes as an unwelcome invitation. This is anything but greatness as their culture defines it. Jesus says, become his children. No resources, no political power or military might be like them. They have to depend on others to be successful, become like them. They have no status, learn from them, be converted. So I ask, and I could have called you up, John, and asked you about this, but I asked some of my teacher friends, um, describe, take some time and just observe your kids, and they didn't need a lot of time, but tell me what kids are like. And they came up with a whole bunch, and I bet if we brainstorm, we'd come up with 50 or so of them, but here's some of the things and see if you agree with them. Kids are honest, and then they put in parentheses, most of the time. But kids, have you noticed, they just, they'll just say stuff and it embarrasses the parents. I've had kids ask me why my nose is so big. <laughs> well, good for you. Thank you. <laughs> I asked a kid at a middle school camp, uh, a kid came up to me right before I'm ready to speak. And she just runs up to me and she goes, are you going to be boring? <laughs> Great question. Kids are quick to forgive and to bounce back quickly. Kids don't hold back smiles and hugs and aren't afraid to cry and show their emotions. That's awesome. Kids love to play, create, and use their imagination. They did a, a brain test uh, for adults and kids in, um, I think that took place somewhere in Nevada where they just brought a group of parents together and they gave them this thing to figure out. And they said, find a solution to this problem. Or what is this? And they just gave him something with no other direction than that. And the adults at best came up with two ideas about what could happen. You know what the kids did? They created stories and imagination and worlds and dinosaurs and everything. And they had tons of solutions. They're not afraid uh, to fail. Kids accept others readily. Kids love to sing and dance. Kids can find joy in everyday moments and things. Kids see beauty and wonder in nature. I think we should also say that kids feel uh, pain and hurt deeply too. We know that. And John was talking about that earlier. But I think this last one is one of the best. Kids think bugs are super cool, you know. <laughs> and Jesus said, become like that. So what would happen as adults if this year, what if we were honest? What if we were quick to forgive and to bounce back? What if we didn't hold back on smiles and hugs and weren't afraid to show our emotions? What if we just love to play and create and use our imagination? What would happen with that? What if we were fascinated with discovery and we were curious instead of judgmental and we just had a wonder? What if we accepted others readily and what if we sang and danced? Oh, sorry, you can't do that in church, but that's okay. And what if we thought bugs were cool? 
God's reconciling all things, right? <laughs> Obviously, Jesus didn't mean become childish. We know what childish looks like. You know, my granddaughter loves for me to pick her up right now, and we have this little gate that so she won't go into a room and run off. And the other day, I went outside the gate, and she came up to the gate, and, and uh, she wanted me to pick her up and take her over the gate. And I said, no, I'll be right back. And she just fell on the floor and threw a fit. And just, I mean, it was amazing. She's a year and a half old and just throwing a fit there. And I looked at her and I started to say, you know, we don't throw fits. And, and I thought, it's not my kid. So I just picked her up and <laughs> carried her with me and just went around. So, you know, don't be childish. Don't throw fits. But, okay, sorry. Did you notice our three words? Uh, convert, humble, and receive. Jesus reverses everything. They want to be great. And he reverses it. He says, we need to be converted. There's something about humility and there's something about receiving others. Being converted. What a strange word. Unless you are converted. Converted means to be changed. To turn around. To go from one way in thinking, of thinking and acting and go toward a healthier way of thinking and acting. It means to turn away from our selfish ego and to turn toward God. Conversion is a deeply interior work and it's lifelong. Have you discovered that? When I first became a Christian, I thought, yeah, I got this. Then I realized I really need to be converted. And now this morning, my wife reminded me, you really need to be converted. <laughs> The reason that it's lifelong is because we are being transformed into the image of Christ. And that's a lifelong process. And conversion isn't for the people out there. It's easy to think they need to change or that church needs to change but, or my spouse needs to change or my kids need to change or my boss needs to change. But conversion is about us. It's for me, it's for you, it's for the person sitting next to you. You know, when uh, I love to travel and I just, who was I talking to who said that their daughter went uh, to Europe? Somebody told me that. Oh, that was your daughter, Shan. Went to Europe and she discovered when she was over there that not everywhere accepts U.S. currency. It has to be converted to either uh, the euro or to the pound or if she's going to Israel, shekels or to the yen. And simply U.S. currency doesn't work there. And Jesus is saying to the disciples, the currency of this world doesn't work in the kingdom of heaven. It needs to be converted. We need to be converted. The currency of empires, political power, our own ego, our own self-focus doesn't work for followers of Jesus. A conversion has to take place. The currency the disciples are looking for is greatness according to this world. Jesus says, exchange that for humility. The currency of power and control doesn't work in God's kingdom. It must be changed from the inside out and we're called to be servants. And that was Jesus's message right from the beginning. Repent. Be converted. Change. God is here. And often when we hear that, we take it as such a harsh thing. But have you ever had something, 
you know, in your mouth or in your tooth and you talk to a friend for 20 minutes and then right before you leave, they go, oh, by the way, you got this big piece of thing in your tooth. What do you say? Jerk, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> oh, I don't want to hurt your feelings. <laughs> Please do. Conversion is a good thing. Look at this quote on the screen. Correctly understood, repentance is not negative but positive. It means not self-pity or remorse, but what? Conversion. The recentering our whole life upon the Trinity. I love that. Recentering. Converted. It is to look not backward with regret, but forward with hope. Not downwards at our shortcomings, but upwards at God's love. It's to see not what we have failed to be, but what by divine grace we can now become. And it is to act upon what we see. To repent is to open our eyes to the light. In this sense, repentance is not just a single act, an initial step, but a continuing state, an attitude of the heart. And that needs to be ceaselessly renewed up to the end of life. That's awesome. How can we be converted or changed? I think the first way is just to recognize that we need it. Just to admit it. If we admit that we're blind, we can do it. And a great prayer is David's prayer in Psalm 139. And David discovers God knows everything about him. And then he discovers God's incredible love. And then he starts thinking about people that don't know God's love. And he goes, oh, I hate them. I hate them with a perfect hatred. But the very next verse, it's as though God called him into attention. And he says, search me, God. Look deep inside me and look at my anxious heart and my hurtful ways and lead me in the everlasting way. That's a great prayer. Second thing is be listening to the Lord. The Holy Spirit uses all kinds of means to help us be converted. Have you noticed that? The scriptures. Have you ever been just reading and you go, hmm, yep, <laughs> that's for me. Love your enemies. Not for me. <laughs> God uses all sorts of means. The still small voice inside of you. Awesome messages on Sunday mornings. Okay, all right, a little bit. You'll get there. Our church community, our relationships, sometimes the people we struggle with the most, and even little kids. It was uh, many years ago when my son was about 10 years old. I uh, had an early morning Bible study, got up early, and went all day. It was a meeting day, and then my wife uh, worked in the evenings. So we would literally pass cars going home, and I would get home, and it was just stressful. And one night, my son, 10-year-old son, the gall of him, he just looks at me, and he goes, Dad, every Tuesday night, have you noticed, you get angry and frustrated with us. You're grounded. <laughs> He was right. He was right. The next day I got up, I canceled my Tuesday morning Bible study, and I made some changes. That was awesome to hear that. Get this. People often expose our stuff to tear us down or to make fun of us or to hurt us or to keep us in our place. God exposes our stuff to build us into the image of Christ. That's awesome. People point out our faults to harm us, but God points them out to heal us. What would happen if that was one of our goals this year? Right where we are, right here, 
in this church, in this community, if we were people that said, God, we want to be open to be converted. Secondly, which this leads us to this, whoever humbles themselves. Whoever humbles themselves and becomes like a child. Humility is a tough one. It's tough to talk about because we miss it on so many sides. Uh, we don't really want to be humble, really. We want to be prideful and we want people to notice us and pay attention. And we want to be recognized for our accomplishments. And we like to be in control and we like our ego stroked. And, but we're smart enough not to say any of that. So we do false humility, which is just as bad. <laughs> But humility, unlike other uh, things, we can't say I really have that, can you? It doesn't sound good. Like, today I, I have peace. Oh, today I have joy. And you look at your spouse and go, today I have humility. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> humility is tough to define, too. I think in one sense, humility begins with us confessing that God is God and we're not. It's keeping things in their proper place. But humility doesn't mean that we shrink away from using the gifts that we have. It's actually using our gifts, but keeping them in proper perspective. Our gifts are there so that we can honor and worship God and love others. So for example, this week, Gianna uh, emailed me a couple weeks ago, and then uh, every once in a while, she'd send me an email and uh, check up on me. Are you still live, George? Are you still coming? Uh, we still want you. Let's do all this. And we communicate. She did an excellent job using her gifts. Now, if I said that to her, and she goes, oh, <laughs> no, it was just Jesus, I go, well, Jesus didn't send me the email. Gianna did, and it was a great email. That humility is using your gifts to love and to serve others and to honor God. That's humble. Jesus, of course, is the greatest example of humility. And I want us to quickly look at this powerful passage that is a great reversal, but one that's unexpected. It goes from top to down. It's like the CEO becoming the janitor, the CEO becoming the one who cleans the toilets, the CEO becoming the one who does all, makes all the coffee and does all of that. Look at this from Philippians. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being made in the very form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation and took the form of what? a bondservant, and came in the likeness of man, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And you referred to this, uh, the last part of this section last week, uh, therefore God highly exalted him and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every tongue should confess, every knee shall bow to the glory of God. So you talked on that last week and you did it great, so I'll leave that there. But what are some things we can take away about this out of humility? How is Jesus humble in this passage? First thing is he, he was willing to let go of his rights. He is God. He became a human. He let go of his rights. He didn't cling to his rights. And we are a country filled right now with everyone demanding their rights. If your Starbucks coffee has your name written wrong on it, I, I want a refund and coffee for life. <laughs> 
We're so easily offended. We're so uh, fighting for the right to be right that we end up wrong. And I wondered if the Lord would pose this question to us today. Are there some rights that I've been holding on to that I could let go of? Are there some things in my marriage or in my family or in my job or in my relationships that I've been fighting for, but really that's not the ultimate goal? And of course, I'm not saying that we should give up the right to have proper and healthy boundaries. And if someone's abusing us, we should say, oh, okay. George said, give up that right. So that's, that's, it's illegal to abuse people. So that's not a right that we give up. But there's something powerful about laying down our rights. Secondly, Jesus listened and obeyed God. It says he was obedient to the point of death. Obedient is from the Greek words that have to do with hearing and listening. I like that. Hearing and listening. But we're not a great listening people. But as believers, we are called to be a listening people. The great Shema, how does it start? Hear, O Israel. The first thing, we are to be listening people. Hear, O Israel. When Jesus took his disciples, up, uh, three of them, up on the mountain to pray, Remember Moses and Elijah showed up and Peter thought this was so great. Let's just stay here forever, Lord. This is awesome. And a voice came from heaven. This is my beloved son. What was next? Listen to him. Listen to him. Listening. Listening is powerful and we're not very good listeners. And I wonder in this season what it would take to quiet our hearts. Elijah the prophet was involved in great and powerful and necessary ministries. The guy called down fire from heaven on a water-soaked sacrifice. Big miracles to demonstrate who God was. But he was burned out and suicidal, and God showed up to him and led him to a cave. And then there was a mighty wind and a mighty earthquake, but God wasn't in the big things. Where was God? In this still, small voice. Maybe it's just taking your phone and setting it aside. Right before you wake up in the morning, instead of grabbing the phone, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit. Maybe just turn off the news for just a minute. You won't miss much. Lord, I quiet my heart. Before I have this conversation, I'm just going to listen to that still, small voice. Be listening, people. And the third thing um, that Jesus did in this passage that was about humility was he became a servant. Peter, who was involved in so much of Jesus' ministry, it was at the end of his life that he said this. Each one of you should use whatever gift you have to serve others as faithful servants of God's grace. Whatever gift you have. Isn't that awesome? There was a guy working on our cabinets once and he was putting in some new sliders, which I couldn't do. And he had to build something to put in the new sliders. And I walked by and I go, I am just a miserable human being. I wouldn't have even known how to do that or that I had to do that. And he stopped and he looked up at me and he goes, I couldn't write a sermon. And I go, amen, brother. Okay, we're all right. 
Whatever gift you have. It doesn't mean we have to do everything for everybody. Amen. That's exhausting. But we are called to be servants. What are some of the ways that you get to serve in this new year? What are some of the things you get to do? And then that leads us to my last point, which is uh, the first was be converted. The second was we're called to this humility. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. One of the great accusations. There were many accusations against Jesus. One of them was that he healed on the Sabbath. <gasps> Terrible. <laughs> he healed a person. Another one was that he received people and he went out to lunch with them. He took them to Burrito Boy. <laughs> Hung out with them at Chapala's. I've got Mexican food on the brain, I guess. The Pharisees were deeply offended because Jesus receives sinners and he has a meal with them. That's incredible. Think with me all the different kinds of people Jesus hung out with. In fact, are we allowed to brainstorm here? Is that okay? Who did Jesus hang out with that was shocking to people? Tax collectors. The working for the government. He hung out with a prostitute. Thieves. Lepers, yeah. And he touched a leper. You know, the, I was meditating on that story the other day, and here's this. It says, a certain man, unnamed, had leprosy, isolated from the community. And sometimes, and I love the way you led us in prayer this morning, sometimes our sicknesses and diseases isolate us from the very place we can get healing, and we lose who we are. Don't even know our name. But Jesus was there and Jesus touched this leper. What a powerful thing. He hung out with women. Included women in the ministry. Praise God. <laughs> Jesus hung out and paid attention to all kinds of people. A while ago, I was watching a documentary on a very uh, controversial artist uh, I, I don't actually know where she's from, but uh, she's done a lot of uh, crazy artwork. But I was watching a special on one particular art display that she did at MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. And it was phenomenal. And here was her art display. It was two chairs in, um, in the museum. People lined up for blocks and for hours to see this art exhibit. <laughs> blocks waited for hours. And here it was. Her sitting in one chair. Lines and lines and blocks of people in New York City waiting to sit in the other chair. No words exchanged. No reactions from her part except to look at the person as long as they sat there. And to watch the people, it was unbelievable. Some just instantly began crying. Others would just nod. Some would just smile with a joy that was just apparent. And they interviewed people afterwards. What happened for you? For the first time in my life, I felt seen. I felt understood. Somebody got me. 
this woman, for all her quirkiness, and don't look up her art because it's weird, (laughs) for all of that, she understood what it meant to receive people without judgment. I wonder how I would do in that chair in the city of Eugene right now. Somebody sitting across from me who I disagree with. Somebody who doesn't share the same theological views as I. Somebody who has a very different take on life. Would I sit like this or would I be open? And I wonder if God is calling us to that kind of openness. I'm not saying we say anything goes. And Jesus never said that, but he welcomed and received people and had a meal and sat in a museum and looked at what was it like when people felt Jesus look at them for the first time. We don't have to worry about what's going to happen. The very first time that Peter experienced Jesus, he said, get away from me. I am a sinner. He understood that Jesus just saw his whole life. Do you think Jesus just laughed at that point? (laughs) Thank you, Peter. Step one. You're getting it. How can we be people like that? I think we can see Jesus sitting across the chair from us. He sees all your stuff. He sees all my stuff. All the stuff that I wish no one else would see. The stuff that I want to hide that little kids maybe aren't afraid to hide. The stuff that I'm ashamed of. Jesus sees it and he still loves me. He sees your stuff. He still loves you. He sees the good things. And sits there with us and receives us and welcomes us. You are deeply loved by the Savior of the universe. God, who is reconciling all things, little bugs to himself. God, who knows everything about you, loves you more than the sand of the sea. And will sit with you this week, this year. That's powerful. Well, I'm going to invite the band to come back up and then I just want to share one last story with you. She was abused and used by her boss. Mistreated. Thought she was trying to help a family out. Really had no voice and no say because of her poverty and her position in the context of the family. And once she had done what they asked her to do, even though it was humiliating, her boss turned on her and kicked her out of their family and their house and sent her away. And she ended up in a very deserted place and was suicidal and alone. But God showed up. God showed up and spoke to her and talked to her in that place. And then this is her response. And if you know the story, it's in Genesis. And it's a young woman named Hagar. And she's the first person in the Bible to give a name to the Lord. It's really interesting. This unwed, single mom who's desperate. Here's the name. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who what? Who sees me. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now, I have now sees me. Wow, there's a great typo. (laughs) I have now seen the one who sees me. God sees you this year. 
God sees this church and he has plans for this church. And God, as far as I know, is the head of the church. And he's leading and guiding you. And I'm thankful for that. Uh, could we stand and pray together? Do you feel comfortable lifting your hands with me, if that's okay? Lord, we open up our lives uh, to you this morning. Thank you that you see us. Thank you that when you sit across from us, there's not an air of judgment, an air of condemnation, because there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. But you invite us to go on a journey of being converted. And Lord, we, we open our lives to you. Forgive us, Lord. We want to turn our lives completely over to you. And then, Lord, we want to humble ourselves. Forgive us where we fought for our ego and fought for our rights. And then lastly, Lord, open our eyes to see the people right around us. The people in this church, the people in the school, the people in our neighborhoods, our family members. And thank you, Lord, that as we do these things, the kingdom of heaven will grow. And thank you that you are reconciling all things to yourself through Christ Jesus. Thank you for this time, Lord. Amen.